0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Mark Morissette, CEO and co-founder of FoxQuilt, an insure tech company that's raised $25 million in funding. Mark, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me,
1: Brett. Super excited to uh, get into the, the dialogue.
0: Yeah, no problem. So let's start with just a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background.
1: Yeah, uh Mark Morissette. I am a co-founding partner of FoxQuilt, and uh, my background actually stems in distribution strategy and billing out some prolific um, financial services companies that uh, were born and raised out of Canada, starting in the early 2000s with, you know, early before FinTech was even coined FinTech at ING Direct. And then I crossed over into the property casualty space, working for, you know, a a CEO of uh, our second largest carrier in 2008 and uh, was proud to become an insurance vertical leader at a FinTech company that was born out of Canada and then scaled to an IPO. In uh, 2017, called Real Matters, and uh, that's where we uh, got the light bulb for what would become the blueprint of Fox Wealth. We uh, there's you know, no, no success stories an overnight success story. Uh, we we incorporated this business in 2016.
0: Where did the passion for insurance come from for you? Is this something you were thinking about like very early on in your career, or was it just really that first insurance company that you worked for and that's where it developed?
1: Honestly, my so I was always a very curious. And always had, you know, always had the aspiration to become an entrepreneur. So when I was in business school in the late '90s, you know, I started a, a logistics company, you know, shipping cars by rail car. And then when I graduated, you know, I was recruited at business school to get into investment banking. I was a terrible investment banker. I got into securitization and mortgage-backed securities, and headed up a unit for uh, from you know, to, in 2006. My crossover where I fell in love with you know, basically entrepreneurship and developing product and technology with customer first in mind was in that front office at ING Direct early days when you know, the banking body trends a bit further ahead in adopting digitization and innovative product and distribution. But where I fell in love with insurance was when I basically you know, fell into the, uh, the C-suite office at a company called Aviva Canada one of the largest general insurance companies in, in the world. And, you know, back then, 2008 or nine, they were still triaging, you know, in bricks and mortar branches, customers by color coded paper. There was no capabilities with regards to technology. And, you know, fast forward, it still has been a fairly paralyzed on value chain in the sense that they haven't attracted or invested in capabilities with regards to people and technology to accelerate where the market's demands are so it's still a value chain where you see this disenfranchised small business owner and i've focused always on small commercial lines that's where i manage some of these different p and and you know that small business owner is provided with a one-size-fits-all product with you know in that uh, you know and they're and they're trying to make money on the underlying underwriting pool, good guys subsidizing the bad guys and you're limited to basically the choice of, you know, filling out a paper application and having these different brokers and agents that you're you know, fulfilling your needs by a manual basis to spray the market with all these different underwriting companies. And hopefully three or four weeks later, you'll get some quotes back with some pricing. but you really don't know what you're purchasing, and you don't have much purchasing power as a business owner. So I fell in love with the immediate need to make impact across a, Value chain, and I've looked at my career. I was like, okay, if I'm going to have a valuable, you know, two decades of impact, I don't really have to look any further. So, you know, I I met my current business partner, Krim Jamal, within Aviva, who's a young actuary, and we had the good fortune to kind of basically get our PhDs in all things insurance and technology, and with you know the blessing to go build out some different contact centers from scratch, integrate some of the small commercial offering into these contact centers from 2008 to 11 before I rejoined my fintech brethren at uh, a company, Real Matters, where we um, we really got down to work and building you know, state-of-the-art technology. And then we witnessed kind of the first generation of insure tech, what was going on globally, 2010 to call it, to 2016, before we started
0: School. And how have you seen InsureTech evolve since then? I'm guessing it's changed quite a bit. Well,
1: we got in, we, we said, well, the real light bulb moment came to life for us because we were building out. A Boots on Ground, you know, Real Matters is a platform that hosted 300,000 like-and-kind property professionals. Boots on Ground Network. And it serviced two verticals, the banking vertical to support the mortgage appraisal process. And then on the, on the property casualty insurance side, loss control inspections. And the biggest pain point for us was onboarding these guys across North America. Uh, they never had the right insurance policy, GL, you know, with limits in place. And our call out to the marketplace at that time was... We figured we'd get some response, but we weren't that naive. It was a multi million dollar opportunity for these legacy carriers. Can you not integrate and embed an affinity solution into our environment as we onboard these, these inspectors and property professionals? And we never got a callback. And we looked at that first generation of tech, and there wasn't much ingenuity on the underlying underwriting product and almost nothing in the back end architecture. It was all outsourced to these multinational vendors, et cetera. It was really, Really, that first generation was founded with principals or entrepreneurs that had strong access to capital because they had strong access in other realms. And they were really just acquiring customers on the front end. And so we said, okay, it's time for insurance technologists to get in the game and focus on the value of building IP front to back and then a really, really strong proprietary product and offering. That would give that you know emancipated offering to a small business owner, agnostic to where they're originated from, whether they're a side hustler in their basement as an e-commerce merchant, or whether they're part of a larger you know B two B program at a you know e-commerce marketplace or a contracted platform, or whether that vehicle is opened up to brokers and wholesalers to move their you know low margin small you know transactional um, SME um, customers in and out very quickly. We set out, it's it's time to basically solve that embedded program solution, but basically create the vehicle, build an arsenal of products, and then gave a lot of self-service functionality to a full omni-channel of clients.
0: And that's what we set out to do. Wow. Super interesting. Now, let's switch gears here a little bit. And if we can maybe just dive deeper into the product, can we expand on that a bit more and just maybe consider this the elevator pitch? If yeah, you're randomly meeting someone and they say, Mark, what do you do? How do you answer that in simple terms?
1: Yeah, so you know the product is, you, know, you look at it through the perspective or the eyes of a, a small business owner, one to three employees or a sole proprietor. It's that micro niche segment that's really not being serviced in the marketplace. And right now and forever, they've been basically hosted with a packaged or a one-size-fits-all product. I always turn to the contractor segment and you know, a, a plumber or electrician or handyman is all lumped into the same product. Well, that's not what they are. It's just there's no technology to boil down and distill and discern exactly what they do. And they're very proud business owners with very distinct and unique personas, and especially in, you know, post-pandemic in this emerging marketplace, they do a myriad of different things. They could be doing, you know, 50% of the time doing some electrical work, but they could be doing some commercial painting, some fencing, and some handyman work. So they've never had a vehicle to build out their own persona and a la carte product with a baseline general liability offering. And then have a, you know, do it 24 7, 11 o'clock at night, so they can print out a certificate, beyond on a job site the next day. But more importantly, it's about rewarding them with fair value pricing and underwriting adjudication and creating that intelligent machine to do the work on their behalf. So it puts them in the driver's seat and it replaces basically that, you know, that antiquated value chain where they're sitting down, filling a piece of paper with an agent or broker and then. Just a, It's a spray and pray where you're, you're submitting that, that paper application to multiple different underrated companies and getting this type of one-size-fits-all um, packaged product with frills that they probably don't need for their business. And then what our product does, it affords the same privileges and fair value for a customer wherever they're comfortable residing to access insurance because not everyone's the same. Some people are very comfortable basically managing their affairs online from their home. Some still require a broker and agent. It's still a complex offering. They want to make sure and ensure that they're protected and that they have the right coverage they need for their business. So that broker and agent has the same access to our vehicle, uh, to the platform, and to this multi-operational product for their clients. And the same goes for, you know, to look at these big enterprises where the market's going quite quickly, where some of these legacy carriers, if not all of them, have really lagged in, in innovation. It's about adjoining multiple markets where there's there's need. And I, I always turn to, you know, my wife runs a, you know, an e commerce marketplace where she's got 30,000 third party sellers across North America, two really unique, complex regulatory markets, 50 different states of 50 different regulatory environments, and then we got 10 provinces of Canada, but her third-party e-commerce merchants, they need a cross-border solution. They need a ubiquitous product that uh, mitigates their risk for those different um, cross-border exposures. And these legacy carriers have not created a cross-border vehicle or product offering to service the needs of these large enterprises. And it starts and ends with first the technology, You've got to own all the IP and the backend sophisticated architecture that can fire out these you know, independent individual pipes around fair value rating, fair value underwriting, and then stitch together on the fly a product that's customized for that unique business owner. Whether it's tethered into an embedded offering in a, in a large enterprise program or whether it's through three or four different, different channels. They get the one seamless journey to the end result, and that's about have fair value um, underwriting and uh, pricing for the customer.
0: From a regulatory perspective, how big of a headache was this to to get off the ground and to not that? <laughs> yeah, it's I imagine huge. that can't be easy.
1: No, it's huge, and you like you'll see this next generation of insure tech founders, myself and Krim, you know, we have, and if you look at our cross, our broad leadership team, we all have a underwriting. And PNC background, even our heads of sales have underwriting backgrounds. It's very crucial, important when you're developing a product, the technology and the distribution. And so when you, you know, we started our journey and that's why we're a little bit differentiated because we've always been focused on underwriting profitability since day one. And we went at it a bit differently. We didn't go on just hyper scaling the top line and putting on customers on the books and focus on the tech and product afterwards. We had to stay very disciplined to our approach around the integrity of the architecture. It's all ours. We've never used a third-party vendor. I'll get to that and then probably a series of other questions. How you how you find that talent. And then we went in the discipline of optimizing our product and our journey with regards to our baseline different verticals around the general liability offering. That's our bread and butter. We manufacture general liability products. But in 2018, we had to um, set out to court the big reinsurers that would give us the autonomy and authority to get over these kind of uh, building out that infrastructure and getting above and beyond the regulatory hurdles. And because we file our own products. So you know every different US state, it's very complex because it's not just about, you know, you're filing product actuarially and so forth and underwriting uh, guidelines, and so forth, but you're you're also servicing that, that customer and the life cycle that policy not just as you're onboarded as a net new policy. It's about changing and endorsing that policy if they're adding a new instrument or endorsement. If they are going to add in a different product, they're going to be canceling, renewing, all these different things. Every state down to the font size is very different. So think about how complex, sophisticated, and intelligent your machine has to to be respond to those different needs. In you know, the state of Tennessee is different than Illinois and different than the Canadian regulatory uh, environment. So one thing we've always been born and raised in Toronto, Canada, is that we always build software and product for a ubiquitous North American marketplace. And when you do that, then you have a very scalable offering because you can parachute it in any market uh, thereafter. So we had to strike the right stakeholders that would give us the autonomy to build and evolve our proprietary Products and the infrastructure and the pipes around rating and underrating, and then afford us the autonomy and the freedom to put our customer in the hands of customers wherever they reside. So that always wasn't in the intention of multi distribution in both markets. And it, it just takes a lot longer to get there because, again, we've only raised 25 million bucks in Asian currency, by the way. So you have to have real strong integrity in your business model, have this success, you know, six, seven years later. And it's worked because we've had strong leaders in the organization uh, who are steadfast to one common purpose and mission. And you've watched this basically living, breathing you know, machine and product come to life and you know, gain favor with so many different customers across three different um, distribution channels.
0: And how early on did you make the leap into the United States? Was that immediate or did you start with Canada and then expand into the U.S. after?
1: Yeah, we start with Canada and you start slowly. And Canada is a wonderful, lucrative property casualty insurance market. It's a bit different. It's not regulated in the same sense as the U.S. when it comes to uh, commercial lines, general liability. And so you're not filing product across different provinces. So you can really optimize the underwriting product, your machine and the technology, and obviously your distribution and your customer journey with your UX and UI. And it's a very profitable market in Canada because it's not litigious. So you can really comprehend what the customer... And you're starting it in 2000, let's say our first policy was 2018. You're really, your first lab is getting closest to the customer, direct to consumer. Yeah, it's the expensive channel. You're paying Google to acquire customers, right? But what it does is that if you get your product resonating with that consumer where they're coming in and you're basically getting end-to-end through the machine and the journey in less than five minutes to a layman, and they're really, really, basically, what we really learned early on is that, well, this is dynamic in the sense that they're very proud and honest about telling us what their persona is as a business. And we're collecting really interesting data to ascertain what that rate and what that stitched together, what that underwriting coverage should, should look like. And then garner all that experience through that you know, Canadian lens and naturally transcended to other distribution channel, broker agent. And then eventually where we have you know, really scaled and took off commercially is through our embedded enterprise channel. That makes up like half of our, half of our business today. So what we did, and we always, we've done this in our past organizations, is that we and launched thereafter in the U.S. We understand the U.S. market in many ways, but actually it's much closer to home for us. If you look at our, we reside in Toronto, Waterloo area, our team, and we're sitting on a peninsula that's, you know, two hours away from New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan. Like, that's kind of where we were born and raised and grew up as kids playing games. We. Have only traveled a number of times out at West Alberta BC. It's more foreign to us. So, you know, that's always been our market. We're always taught that that's our local market. And a small business owner in Erie, Pennsylvania, you know, a commercial painter there isn't much different from a commercial painter in Sudbury, Ontario. You look at their needs. And if you look at the backstory, we actually took our US innovated product, which is a based on US ISO rating and Multi-operational rating, and that did not exist in Canada. So we actually took a U.S. constructed product with different data pools that we're using to build that product, and we imported it into Canada, not vice versa. So it's net new in, in uh, Canada. So in, in the U.S., we launched. I think it uh, we filed in about twenty-six states in uh, twenty twenty-one.
0: Wow! And can you give us an idea of customer growth, and if there's any numbers or metrics you can share there?
1: Yeah, where we've grown significantly is we now have basically all that hard heavy lifting and then the integrity in the machine front to back. It's all ours, and this is everything from basically like all your different APIs and proprietary wordings and your you know your all your rating engine and your auto renewals and cancellation, all that that endorsement. It's very complex work, but it's but it's done right. So it's years in the making. And then you open it up and you learn across these different distribution channels where you're rewarding small business owners, whether they're being serviced through brokers and agents, because our uh, business model is there to basically make their lives easier as well, brokers and agents. We want to create product for them and we want to create a customer journey experience for their customers that uh, is going to create uh, massive economic gains within their business. And when we really took office through these embedded enterprise channels, There just wasn't any legacy carriers that could entertain opening up integrated environments and then customizing a tailor-made offering for their program of like and kind subcontractors or e-commerce merchants or thereafter. And when you're not handcuffed to go knock on a vendor's policy min system or any other vendor's door, which takes, it's very expensive to do that time consuming, we're in control. So we can really really create value for these large enterprise networks. One, they want to mitigate their risk and exposure. And they have tens of thousands of different contractors on the platform. they want to make sure that they're insured with a ubiquitous product, that it's seamless and a great experience, and they reward them with a tailored offering that's fair uh, value to that uh, onboarded network client. And so you know we've been able to scale up very rapidly where we're you know you're writing now, You know, revenue-wise, you're writing like a couple, almost a couple million dollars a a month in revenue. And then you're also now we've got, you know, 8,000 plus clients. So we've done all this work with limited capital. And I would say that we've done it with, um, you know, because we've done and built these things in our past, we've attracted really, really intelligent people capabilities. First from a leadership team um, to the tech and product and um, the operators. and then. You've attracted teams underneath of them that have been able to really align to one common purpose and uh, you know, core objectives across the the company that have lined and and now we're you know we're on pace to break even by the end of the year. So wow,
0: yeah, and I think that's a good segue to talk about money and to talk about funding. So as we mentioned there in the intro, twenty five million raised so far. What have you learned about fundraising for insurance technology companies so far throughout your journey?
1: Well, the Canadian companies are always at a disadvantage. You know, we are usually we're, you know, it's a small, immature, fragmented venture capital ecosystem here in Canada. And again, it's Canadian currency and early stage capital is very limited. I almost equate it to more private equity. Now you got to be further ahead. You got to be out of your MVP and almost be, uh, you know, making a million AR before you get a seed round here. So it's not true venture capital. So you really got to have access to some private capital. We And we had good fortune in doing so, but you've got to have the integrity from your past to attract talent. And for us, you know, as Canadians, we have to basically measure 10 times before we cut once when we do everything. And it's all got to be measured, right? So we just can just go raise a whack load of capital like our, some of our American peers and figure it all out along the way whilst we make mistakes. We just had to be very disciplined and laser focused around what's our differentiator. And it's basically focus your limited uh, capital resources on building the tech in-house, in-house, in-house. And we knew it was going to you know, trade that value when we were figuring out what the customer's needs were. When you wake up and go to bed thinking about the customer and they're going to tell you what they're really looking for in the marketplace from these insurance companies, when you figure it out, that's when the magic gets unlocked and it becomes captivating and compelling to the young innovators that are building it because then they really believe and they want to prove to the market that they've, you know, they're building something wonderful that's just at the cusp of like being released to a, a more global market. The raising capital in insurance technology, you Know there was a wave of it there that went on, I would say in you know, all 2000, I'll call it eleven to eighteen when there was a, a FOMO and an MA Frenzy even 2018, 17 to 20. And you know, that f- first generation, they did a lot of great things about creating awareness that uh, you know, legacies have to get off of their you know, paralyzed hands and get involved and um, support different innovative teams and models that are constructing these things. But it also created a lot of, um, I would say, a lot of discouraged type of anxiety around what was the end result because a lot of them didn't focus on the integrity of the technology or the product, but they went hyperscaled a lot of different, got into over their ski tips, creating a lot of different product lines and acquiring a lot of customers and forgetting that they were in the actual business of underwriting risk. And so as a I call you know, tech 2.0, where we didn't take that path because we didn't have easy access to capital, and what that does is that it makes you lean in on your intellectual uh, capital, and you solve problems with limited smart people, and you don't throw money at it, and everything has to be super measured because you know the Canadian capital we do raise is coming from pretty conservative capital, and so you know it just means it's a longer road to get there, but once you do, then who wins at the end of the day. The customer always wins because that's what you're doing with us. We're the champion of that small business owner. They're getting better innovative product that's tailor-made for them. They're getting self-service functionality to, to own and control their insurance needs. But the shareholder in Foxwell and the different stakeholders, the reinsurers and capacity providers behind us, they get underwriting profitability. Now we've got a bunch of years in. Yeah, it's a small program, albeit, but sizable enough and with some seasonality that we are generating some wonderful underwriting profitability that you can start predicting now. Our loss ratios are impeccable. And so we're going to take these learnings and we're going to create new products with what we learned across different... We've released 800 different classes, 800 different product uh, classes across three verticals. Personal services, that's everything from videographers to yoga studios to dog walkers. And then we got a wonderful contractor segment it's a multi operational contract product. And then, of course, an e commerce vertical. But we'll get into other liability products, whether it's uh, an ENO e- e- product in the next in the roadmap.
0: And let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself?
1: Huh, you know what? Like, uh, I started it as a fairly experienced entrepreneur in my late 30s. And so, you know, At least I had learned a few things and surrounded myself with uh, wonderful people that could help me on the journey. I've said this before, I'll say it again. You have to surround yourself and be open-minded to surround yourself with really interesting, curious, diverse people from all walks of life. Because when you're building technology, when you're building the product, when you're building the operations, when you're forging a board and advisors around you, you have to have the best rainbow of colors to support the journey. It's a long one. It's arduous and uh, you need the best talent possible in order for you to pull it off because, you know, you know, and you're quite aware, and we weren't naive, that it was going to be you know, capital intensive and very hard to build with only, you know, 20 million bucks. At that time, you know, 10 million bucks at the moment. So we uh, people, number one. Two, I was and continue to be, and I was, you know, I was early, a lot of these, you know, we're talking about raising money, venture capital. Uh, they're wonderful people. I've met so many wonderful people along the way, but a lot of them have been career venture capitalists. A lot of them have been consultants from the big consulting firms. I'm married to a consultant, so I love them, and I have lots of friends. But Good they're <laughs> but they're very but they're very parallel to academia, and they know what they know and they collaborate. But they're they're always behind, and not a lot of them have actually built product, built technology, and built out distribution or even been in, you know, part of multinational where they manage P&Ls, but more importantly, managing large pools of talent and the culture behind it to get over these like humps and hurdles and challenges. So they're limiting what they know. And we were always basically told from day one. So we, if you look at our original blueprint, 2016, I still hold the deck quite proudly. We're actually some of the customers that I had labels on these, this omni-channel distribution and the stack and the it's actually come to fruition. We have not you know, pivoted one I owed it. And why I segwayed into that is like, I was stubborn and disciplined that twofold, I was going to solve that embedded enterprise solution because that's where it was going to be commercialized. You know, an opportunity, but I wanted to create the simplicity around the vehicle and the arsenal products and open it up to a completely diversified distribution strategy. And I wanted to do it, obviously, to build that software and that distribution strategy across multiple markets, because then you've got potential global scale, but then you're solving what has not been solved before. This is one of the largest trading partnerships in the world, US and Canada. And SME businesses, and mid-market businesses trading back and forth, no legacy carrier has created a cross-border vehicle, facility, or product to support that trade. It's really broken. And so you're looking at the diversification of how you Know, put your value in the hands of small business owners across multiple distribution channels to obviously diversify your scale opportunities. But also, it's a diversified risk strategy as well on the underwriting side. So, I argue, you know, 10 out of 10 folks were on the venture capital when you're meeting with them, like, ah, you really should just focus on the consumer one channel, not all these other channels, just distracting. They're so wrong. And we're proving that. And then now, you know, 2023, and everyone's, oh, geez, this is. Fantastic! You've got diversified distribution, and you open up to ages brokers and brokers and enterprises. Well, last year and the year, the year prior, it's not the answer I got from everybody. And then the you know the cross border solution with multiple software and product that works in two complex regulatory markets. You know, again, it's like you know you're just focus on your small market up there and be a first mover and innovator. It's really close minded because if you actually have a vehicle platform that has product and it's basically got this massive need in the market. Enterprises, wayfarers and shop and all these begging for solutions that legacies are not entertaining for their small business networks or for just that hustling, you know, small business owner that has had a wonderful relationship with a broker and agent that's just not getting new solutions for them. It's much, you know, you've, you've got to open up that vehicle in this new emerging e-commerce world to as many um, uh, business owners that meet your solution. So I was very rigid and disciplined on not uh, being distracted from my intuition and my instincts around, and my learnings around distribution strategy. What I did my master's on, so.
0: Well, Mark, we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. I love your energy and your enthusiasm for what you're building. That really comes through in the interview and, and you're clearly very excited and it's just awesome what you're building and I, I really love the vision and I love everything that you're doing. I'm sure there's probably some founders listening in who want to follow along with you and, and keep learning from you and learn more about your journey. Where should founders go if they want to follow along?
1: Yeah, Mark Morissette at foxwolf.com or any one of our teams. It's all lowercase, first and last name, foxwolf.com.
0: Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about what you're building and share some of your perspectives and lessons that you've learned along the way. It's been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. You bet. Thanks a lot, Brett. All right. Keep it Dutch.